Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapters 6, 7, and 8. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses, And God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. 
Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this amazing story of this amazing man. And we pray this morning that as we look at this text and we look at Stephen's story, that you might reveal to us more about your purposes in suffering. We pray that we might find hope through your word and that we might be greatly encouraged by who you are, Jesus. And for those who are close to giving up, Lord, that they might find new encouragement by seeing you, Jesus, afresh. And all God's people said, amen. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. It's good to be back here at St. Andrews. My name is John Homas. I'm uh, a pastor here that's planning a church in the East Hollywood and Hallandale area. Some of our folks from New City Fellowship joined us this morning. They're great people, and I love, uh, I love being part of a team that's planting a new church. Um, we got some great news the other day, or a couple weeks ago. I got a letter from the city of Hallandale, and I opened up the letter, and it said, Congratulations, New City Fellowship. Um, you've passed your fire inspection for your building. And I thought, well, that's wonderful. That's amazing. I, I mean, I know another friend who's planning a church, and the inspections that he had to go through with the city were really long and, and tenuous and, and about a year long. And so I thought, man, this is great. But then I realized, wait a minute, we don't have a building. So we passed a fire inspection for a building we don't have, and I should probably follow up with the city of Hallandale and see if they know something that I don't know. Um, but we're glad to be here with you this morning. Um, as I said, it's, we have a great group of people on our launch team, and um, you know, learning to share the gospel, learning to live out the gospel together, learning to walk through difficult things together, just as you are. And those difficult things are always present, aren't they? In each of our lives, we walk through trials, and we walk through hardships, and we walk through suffering, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, God's purposes in our suffering. 
I find one of the hardest things to do is to make meaning out of our suffering, to figure out why, what, what's the purpose, what, what's going on here. We, um, we struggle to do this, and there's a lot of different types of suffering. So we struggle on a lot of different types of level. There, there's suffering that just finds us in life. You try and live life, or you start a business, or, or you do anything, you're going to come up against pushback. And some of that you don't deserve. You didn't do anything to get that suffering. When I was in fifth grade, I was bit by a tick that carried Lyme disease, and I got Lyme disease. And I didn't do anything to find that tick. That tick found me. And so I walked through a year of, of hard things. And you guys have all had something like that, suffering that finds you. Uh, and then there's also suffering that we look for. Uh, when, you know, when we do things that God tells us not to do, we can expect that it's going to create disorder and hardship and trials in our lives. And we've all done that as well. This morning, we're going to talk about a specific kind of suffering, a third kind of suffering that I would call offering yourself up for the good of the gospel, something we see in the life of Stephen. And while we'll focus on that type of suffering, Stephen's story actually gives us hope for any kind of suffering that you're walking through now. And so I hope that you'll find hope in the story of Stephen, but also boldness and courage in the gospel to step out for the sake of the gospel, even if it brings more hardship in your life. Through the story of Stephen, we see that God's purposes advance through suffering and that God uses our posture in suffering to advance his purposes, but that the power to walk through suffering comes from us looking to Jesus. So we'll talk about purposes, posture, and power. And when we come on the story of Stephen, we come on a, a young church in Jerusalem. Uh, the church has been growing. TJ preached, I think, last week or the week before. They just had kind of their first internal conflict, and they've had a, a few conflicts externally, a few oppositions externally. Uh, they're still kind of wobbly, though. They're growing, but they're, they're figuring things out. They haven't quite yet spread out of Jerusalem yet, um, and so they're a young church, and they're in a vulnerable position. And with that in mind, a guy like Stephen comes on the scene, and he's a spiritual powerhouse. He's on all the ministry teams, and he's gifted in what seems to be every area. He, he's, he's on the diaconate. He's a potent and powerful preacher. He's on the miracles team. He, he's in mercy ministry, and he does all of these things well. He goes into the public square and he debates people about the truth of Jesus and he wins. God's spirit is present with him. And you look at this guy and you're like, man, I'm so thankful that he's part of this early church because they need somebody like him. He's incredibly gifted. If he were to show up this morning at St. Andrews, you would say, John, you're off the preaching docket. Stephen's preaching in your place because God's presence was obviously with him. As he goes through the, these debates though, his opponents realize they cannot win. They cannot refute the gospel against him. And so they come up with another, another plan. We're going to have to make up a story about Stephen. We're going to have to make up a story, a false story, so that we can accuse him and get him out of the way and get him off the scene. And by doing that, we can squash this news about Jesus. And so they make up a story. They make up a story about Stephen centering around two things. Stephen speaks badly about God's law, and Stephen speaks badly about God's temple. 
Now, neither of those are true. But they made up these stories about Stephen. And all of a sudden, the scenery changes from the debate podium to the courtroom. And Stephen is brought before the temple leadership to go on trial. Stephen is given the mic, though, and he's given an opportunity to defend himself. And he gives a very long speech, some of which Carol read. I would encourage you to go home and and read the full passage. We didn't read the full passage this morning. Uh, But it's important that you know that Stephen's answering the question about God's law and God's temple as he gives this very long speech. He seizes the opportunity and he says, okay, guys, listen, God worked before we had the temple and before we had hit the law. He, he showed up and he met Abraham before there was a temple and before there was a law. And he led Abraham on a wild journey. And he, he was with Isaac and God was with Jacob and God was with Joseph too. Remember Joseph was sold into slavery, guys, and he went down to Egypt. He wasn't anywhere near Jerusalem and the temple was far away from being built. But yet God was with Joseph and God brought salvation through Joseph. And then Stephen turns to Moses and starts talking about Moses and gives a lengthy description of Moses' ministry, trying to emphasize that God was working through Moses before Moses had the law of God and before a temple was built. It's interesting, though, if you think about what Stephen's saying, he's not really defending himself. He's on trial, but rather than talking himself out of the trial, He's trying to talk his opponents into the truth. He goes on and says, by the way, I I mean, the law is good because it represents God's character, but our people have never really kept the law. And and God's temple was good because it meant God was living with us. But I mean, didn't we reject God's presence to worship idols? And then Stephen brings up a third theme and says, you know, while we're talking about it, God has often sent leaders to Israel, but we've rejected them as well. Then, then he finishes his speech by talking lastly about the temple very specifically. And he says, look, do you remember when in our story, the temple wasn't always there? In fact, the temple used to be a tent and we used to move it around the wilderness. And then David wanted to build a temple, but a temple wasn't even built until Solomon came into existence. And even after Solomon built the temple, which was good, Don't you remember the prophet Isaiah said, God doesn't really live in a human building. I mean, heaven is where God sits and he places his feet to rest on the earth. It's not like a human building can really capture God. And he's telling them, look, the temple was good, but the temple has its limits. And then Stephen gets to this point that most preachers do. It's called life application. And it's this point in the the sermon where the preacher goes, now here's how this applies to you. And Stephen does that, but it's kind of a rocky transition between the main body of a sermon and the life application point because he says this, you stiff-necked people. That's a rocky transition if you're a preacher. And he says, listen, guys, I know that you're accusing me of not holding up the law and not holding up the temple, but it's not me. It's you. It's you. You have not obeyed the law God sent someone who was his very presence to be with you, a representative of the temple. He was the temple and you rejected him. And not only that, you rejected the leader that God sent. 
the righteous one, referring to Jesus Christ. Stephen is telling them, look, you're not righteous. You haven't kept the law, but a righteous one came on your behalf to suffer the punishment that you deserve in order to give you his righteousness, and you rejected him. And although Stephen's point is a little rough for those temple leadership, it should actually give us hope. Because we're reminded that when we walk through suffering, there is someone who went through the ultimate suffering. And so we are not alone. We often think that God is not present with us when we suffer. But Stephen tells us right here that the righteous one was murdered and killed and crucified on a cross. And that God himself identifies with us because of the cross in our suffering. At that point, something wild happens to Stephen. In verse 55, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At New City, we've also been going through the book of Acts on Thursday nights. And one of the things that keeps coming up in the book of Acts is that after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent time with his apostles and then he ascended into heaven, into the throne room of God. And at the throne, what did he do? He sat down. He sat down. And yet what Stephen sees is not Jesus sitting down at the throne. The heavens open up and Stephen sees the glory of God, but he doesn't see Jesus seated, but standing. Twice he says, I see Jesus standing. I see the Son of Man standing. What does it mean that he sees Jesus standing? Well, the throne room of God is also the courtroom of God because God is a judge. And as he looks into heaven, he sees Jesus Christ standing up as a witness, standing up to testify before the judge, standing up to advocate for Stephen. F.F. Bruce writes that while Stephen was confessing Christ before men, he looks up and he sees Jesus Christ confessing Stephen before God. What a picture that must have been. That he looks up and he sees Jesus Christ advocating for him. Who knows what Jesus was saying? Stephen is mine. My, my blood has has paid for his sins. I am his beloved and he is mine. I advocate for Stephen. We don't know. But we know it so deeply moves Stephen. And he gains a new power as he walks through suffering. See, Jesus is not just the one who suffered and rose again, but the one who ascended into heaven and represents us before God the Father before God the judge. And that's good news for you, whatever type of suffering you're going through right now. Look, if you have made mistakes in your life and you've sinned and you're walking through a very hard thing right now, maybe you've created chaos in your life, you need Jesus the advocate. You need Jesus the representative to help you walk through that. First John 2, 1 says that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What did we sing earlier? Not all that hell or sin can say shall turn his heart, his love away. Even if you have made chaos in your own life, 
Jesus Christ continues to advocate for you if you are one of his people. And that should give you a fresh power to deal with some of the earthly consequences of your poor choices because you will never have to deal with the eternal consequences because Christ has dealt with them for you. Jesus, the advocate, also matters if suffering has found you. You haven't created chaos in your own life, but somehow something has come to you. Jesus, the advocate, matters because what do we do when we walk through something and we didn't do anything to deserve it? I don't know about you, but one of the things I think is God must be mad at me. He must be punishing me for something I did. But to see Jesus, the advocate, reminds us that God has already punished Jesus on our behalf. And the suffering that comes into our life is not something that God brings in our life to punish us. Because Jesus was already punished for us. And he stands in heaven now to advocate for you and to advocate for me. And that gives us new perspective as we walk through suffering. But even even if suffering has found you by the hands of another person, let's say that someone has entered into your life or someone you know, and they have deeply wounded you and deeply hurt you and brought hardship because of their sin. Jesus, the advocate, reminds you that you need an advocate because you need forgiveness. And as you embrace that, that empowers you to walk through suffering with a forgiving heart for others. This is so different than pull up your bootstraps and suffer for Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. That's not Christianity. What we're learning from what Stephen saw is that when we look to Jesus, we find power available to us, unlimited power, to walk through and embrace suffering, whatever kind of suffering may come. Because Jesus Christ is our advocate before the Father in heaven, pleading his righteousness on each of your behalfs. And as you embrace that, it not only changes the way you walk through suffering, it changes literally everything. But it does change the way we walk through suffering. It gives us a new power to have a different posture, a different posture as we walk through suffering. Stephen proclaims what he sees. He says, I see Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. And at this point, he's basically saying, I am in the throne room of God, which is the very thing they're accusing him of. They're saying, you're speaking bad about the temple, the place where God lived. And now you're saying, you see where God lives? Oh, it's on. Sentence, execution, done deal. They drag him out of the city, presumably by himself. We don't, we don't hear of any other of the apostles going with him, and they pick up stones. And this is it. He's got moments to live. He's staring death in the faith, and yet look at his posture. Stephen prays as the stones are coming. He crumples and he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In the moments before death, he prays a prayer of faith and entrusts himself to Christ in the midst of his suffering. No, those are big shoes to fill for us. You might say, well, John, I haven't had a heavenly vision. The skies have not opened up and I have not seen in the heavens, seen Jesus Christ advocating for me. And I'm sure that as Stephen saw that, it brought a new power for him personally. But you have to realize something too. We have something that Stephen didn't have. 
Stephen had that heavenly vision and seeing Jesus on the, you know, standing before God and that gave him faith, but we have other things that bring us faith. Stephen didn't have all the writings of the New Testament that talk over and over about the forgiveness of sins and Christ being our advocate and Jesus being your priest who represents us before God. We have that. And as we read those scriptures over and over and take them into a deep place in our heart, it can actually produce faith. The other thing that we have that we don't think Stephen had is Stephen walked through this alone. He's presumably by himself outside of the city about to die. But you and I have each other. Suffering is not meant to be walked through alone. It's meant to be walked through in community. We're meant to pick each other up. We're meant, to, we're meant to hold each other and encourage one another and remind each other about what Christ has done for us. Remind us that Christ has not abandoned us just because we're suffering, but remind that he advocates for us. If you're like me, you all too quickly forget all those things. And the moment that suffering enters into your life, you go, why me? We need each other. We need each other for the encouragement and for the reminders. And Stephen didn't have that, and we do. And we can actually build each other up in faith as we all walk through hard things together. And that posture actually matters, that posture of faith. I'm reminded of a man about 15 years ago. I was in a church in Nashville, and there was a guy who was doing international ministry among college students and um, he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, in the midst of that, he found out, I've got six months to live. And there's, there's nothing. There's nothing we can do, said the doctors. You have six months to live. In six months, you will be gone. And as he walked with other people and as he wrestled, he came to this place of deep faith. And he began to write on the internet. And he began to preach at local churches and you would not believe the effect that his faith had on the body of Christ in Nashville. His blog posts went viral before viral was a thing. And he came and preached at the church I was at in Nashville. And here's the funny thing. I don't remember his name. I barely remember his faith, his face, but I do remember his faith. I do remember his faith. And it wasn't like he was some superstar. He was just a guy walking through suffering at the end of his life, in community, holding on to the promises of God, and yet 15 years later, I still remember his story. As we grasp onto Jesus Christ, the advocate, it produces a posture of faith in us, and that faith has an effect. That faith matters. We can entrust ourselves to Christ's and when you do that, it's, it's contagious. Stephen does that. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But then he also prays this. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Stephen has been incredibly bold. He has gone after these guys and said, look, you're not believing what's true. He said, you are stiff-necked people. And yet he has no ill will. He's not vengeful against them. He prays for them. His last words are a prayer of kindness. Lord, forgive them. Forgive them for this sin. Do not hold this against them. It's really amazing that in his last moments, 
He's not calling fire down from heaven. He's not clawing for power. His heart is forgiveness. He has a posture of kindness. If you live for Jesus Christ and you seek after Jesus Christ, you will be opposed. What will you do when you are opposed? Will you hold a posture of love, of forgiveness, of kindness to those who oppose you? Or will you be vengeful? Will you be angry? Will you grab for power? For me, I, I, I think about this and I go, look, 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 John, as you share the gospel and people reject you, what's your bigger concern? Self-preservation or giving yourself away in love. The amazing thing is Stephen doesn't actually regain power. It's not like Stephen does all the right things and then everyone's like, oh, we see Stephen. He's obviously a great guy. He believes the Lord. Let's just all let him go. And they all become Christians and everyone's happy. No, that's not what happens. Stephen is kind to them and Stephen still dies. He does not regain power. He crumples and it's over. And yet in that, God uses our posture. God uses Stephen's posture in ways that he could never imagine because God's purposes advance through suffering. God's purposes advance through suffering. Stephen could not have imagined what his death, the effect that his death would have had on the Christian community. You see, there was, a, there was a young man there who was not a Christian, a young man named Paul. And Paul was the one who was gathering coats. See, people were taking off their coats so that their arms were a little bit freer as they slung stones. And, and Paul was the one who was watching those coats while the execution happened. Stephen didn't know Paul. They didn't interact. There's, no, there's nothing in the story that tells us that they locked eyes or... Or, or Stephen said something to Paul or anything like that. But we know that God uses the martyrdom of Stephen in the life of Paul. Because Paul refers back to it much later in the book of Acts. He says, I was there. I, I was part of that. He refers back to the coats. He says, I was the one watching the coats while Stephen was executed. And I don't want to make too much of this, but some people have speculated that this had such a profound effect on Paul's life that his whole theology was based on Stephen's sermon. Now, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But what we do know is that Stephen's death mattered. And it had an effect of some kind in the life of Paul, in a way that Stephen would not see, in a way that Stephen would, would never know. And yet God used that to advance his purposes in the life of Paul. God also uses this, the death of Stephen, uh, not only in ways he can't see, but in ways he can never imagine. You see, at this moment, remember, Stephen's the guy. He, he's, he's the focus of this chapter. He's the one with all the spiritual gifts. He's on all the ministry teams, and now he's dead. And it seems like the gospel is going to get squashed right there in Jerusalem. But it doesn't. Through the death of Stephen, a persecution breaks out. 
And we don't know how many believers there are at this point. We know that in chapter 4, it says there's 5,000 men, which means 10,000 total people probably. And then people get added and added and added. So I don't know how many there are. We don't know. But after the death of Stephen, a persecution breaks out, and all those believers scatter. They just go out. They're running for their lives. But it's at this very moment that the gospel breaks out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, and we begin to see God's purposes expand in ways that we could not imagine. See, people are on the run. And people are asking them, why are you running? Well, I believe in Jesus, and they're trying to kill me. And as they go throughout Judea and Samaria, the gospel is being spread. And Stephen would have never imagined that. The gospel goes viral. Here's why that should encourage us. You may never see the meaning of your suffering. You might. But you may never see the deeper meaning of the suffering that you're going through. I still look for meaning in my own suffering. If you walk with me for a week, I'll, I'll talk about something going on in my life, and I'll try and make sense of it. And we all do that. I can't tell you the meaning of the suffering that you're going through, but I can tell you that your suffering is not meaningless. You may not see the meaning of your suffering, but you can trust God that your suffering is meaningful. Stephen never could have imagined what happened from his death. And yet it's a turning point in the book of Acts. The gospel explodes in the ancient world. Paul becomes a Christian. Thousands of people spread out and share the gospel. God uses Stephen's suffering to advance his kingdom, and God will use your suffering to advance his kingdom. It is not purposeless. So let me encourage you, whatever you're going through right now, have hope. Take hope in Jesus, your advocate. Your suffering matters. He's using it. He is advocating before you, before the throne right now. But also, take courage. Take courage to actually move out in the name of Jesus into those tough spaces, into those spaces that you're afraid to go out in those places you're afraid to share the gospel, to those people you're afraid to love. Take courage. God will meet you there. And it might not turn out the way that you want it to. And it might actually bring harder things into your life. And yet, isn't it worth it to see the gospel spread and to know that Jesus uses you? I'll leave you with this. At that same church where I referred to the, the man with cancer, a young woman from another country started coming. And as she listened to the Bible being preached and as she listened to the Bible being taught, she realized that she believed. And she was coming from a different religious background, but she realized she believed. And one of the pastors sat down with her and said, let's talk, what's going on? And she said, well, I, I believe in Jesus. He's mine and I'm his. And he said, well, tell me your story. What effect is this going to have in your life? And she said, well, my husband is not going to be happy about this. And if he finds out that I have become a Christian, he will leave me. And she said, I don't want that, but that's what will happen. And the pastor said, well, what will happen if he leaves you? And she said, I will lose my status in the United States. 
and I will be forced to go back to my home country. Well, what, what happens if you go back to your home country? And she said, well, when I get there, people will wonder why I'm back without my husband, and I'll have some questions to answer. And they'll eventually find out why I'm back. You mean they'll find out that you've embraced Jesus and that you're a Christian? Yes, they'll find that out. Well, what would that mean? And she said, you know, it it, it could mean that they will kill me. And with tears in both of their eyes, the pastor asked her, do you want to embrace Jesus? She said, yes, more than anything. Come what may, I am his and he is mine. And I have no other option but to embrace the one who died for me. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. Jesus is worth it. Whatever you're walking through right now, Jesus will meet you there. And Jesus will give you a new boldness as you see him and his love for you and his advocacy for you. And that will empower you to actually step into hard places. I can't tell you what the consequences of that will be, but I can tell you that Jesus will be there at meeting you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have met us this morning through your word. I pray that you would encourage us, Father, and that you would give us great boldness. Lord, we are often, myself included, defined by fear. And I pray that as we see Jesus Christ advocating for us, it would give us new courage. As we see Jesus Christ testifying for us, it would give us new boldness to testify for him. In Christ's name we pray, amen.